Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, are you glad to be at church this morning? Isn't that awesome? We had a, uh, a privilege to have Daniel as friend, but uh, he loves Jesus, and that's what matters. Can you tell this morning? So amazing. Um, I pray that you are energized. Uh, AJ was telling me that to uh, go straight into the message might be a hard right turn this morning after the last song. Anybody agreeing with him? It's awesome. This kickoff season right now, our goal is not just to get you excited for Sunday, but our prayer is uh, that there will be something that happens in you during, during this season that causes you to get more involved with the word of God, with God's people, and then turn your eyes toward the world around us that is in need of a savior. We're in part three of our series, um, and we're going to talk today about reaching the world. So I want you to just turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and while you're there, I want you to uh, just note that there are a lot of things kicking off. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to evaluate right now, are you involved in any of them? Are you involved in something smaller than this church service? And the reason is, uh, getting into a smaller group, a more connected one, your life becomes uh, evaluated, you uh, read the word together, you become accountable for things, but also you can pray for each other about those that you are called to reach. Are you involved in something other than just Sunday morning? Now, we're called to corporate worship. This is an important moment. But we are called to encourage one another, stir one another up to love and good deeds. And oftentimes we don't have enough time on just a Sunday to do all the encouraging that's inside us, right? I don't know if you feel full of it this morning. I do. I'll share it with you. This last week, something really significant happened. Uh, we had a prayer time that we're endeavoring to do once every six weeks. It's going to be a little quicker this first time around. Uh, we'll be back in uh, October uh, but we had a prayer time right here in this auditorium. We worshiped the Lord, we prayed, and we asked God to do um, amazing things, starting with working in our own hearts. We asked him uh, to cause us personally to repent. We asked him to heal people that were sick. We asked him to reach those people who were running from him. We asked him to energize the ministries that are going on at the church, and we asked him to enable us to be able to proclaim the gospel. It was a powerful time. I was reminded of a story that a pastor told about prayer. A little boy and his dad uh, were out riding their bikes, and uh, dad was always wanting to be mentoring his son. And as they were Riding along, they came uh, to a place in the trail where a tree had fallen across, a tree branch. Uh, it was about four or five inches thick, uh, big enough that it would be too much for the son to lift. And the father thought he saw an opportunity. And so he asked his son, he said, hey, will you clear the path for us? 
And so the son goes over and he gets off of his little bike with the training wheels and he begins to try to lift that branch and he couldn't and he tries to pull that branch and he couldn't and he tries to work at one end of the branch to see if he can just move it a little bit out of the way and he couldn't and he works and he works and he works and he's sweating and uh, he looks at his dad and his dad says, have you used all of the strength that's available to you? Have you used all of your power? And he goes, I have. And he goes, no, you have. Dad says, have you used all of your strength? And he says, I have. And he says, no, you haven't. You have not asked me to join you. I think the father looks at us with all the effort that we put into a week, living our lives, even doing church. And there are many times that we are sweating, worrying, struggling, pressing, and he's just looking at us saying, have you used all the strength that's available to you? And we're saying, I have. And we're wrung out and we're overwhelmed and we're a little bit exasperated. But great things like that start with prayer. I'm asking you to put on your calendar, as you join the other groups, that moment where we not, uh, we not only pause what we're doing outside, but we are endeavoring for every single group to stop their weekly activity, and join us in prayer on those weeks that God would do something supernatural in our church. I, I want you to put that on your calendar. I'm asking you to consider being here and praying with us uh, for what God is doing. Amen? First Peter chapter 2, we're asking the question this morning, how can the church reach the world? How can the church reach the world? And the answer that I'm hoping you'll be able to see in Scripture is by living the gospel out loud. Now, I'm going to admit right now, that's the whole message, so you can leave. <laughs> that's the whole message. But I think there's a few things that are worthy of our consideration this morning. Peter is talking to a group of people who were under persecution they were overwhelmed. They were not in the majority. The world around them was licentious. The government around them was oppressive. The attitude continually coming towards them was negative. They were overwhelmed. He's speaking to a generation of people that would commit themselves fully to a holy God. And over the next 200 years, at the end of that moment of the apostles... 200 years continuing on in the early church, there was no named church planters that you can recall. There was no mission board. There were no evangelists that you can remember. There were no major events that called the world into the church. None of those things were happening. And yet, the known organized world at the end of 200 years had been transformed, had heard the name of Christ, and across the known world. They were proclaiming that they were Christians. How did that happen? Without an evangelistic campaign, without an identified leader, I think that 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 gives us an indication. Let's stand and read just these verses together. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, and it says this, Peter speaking to the church, dear friends, notice those words, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles 
to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Do you believe that's a good word for us today? You may be seated. Father, I pray that you would help us just to take a look at this um, statement that's made, a bookend to the same statement in 315, where Peter calls us to take a look around at the world and notice that people are asking for the reason for the hope that is in us. Father, I pray that we would be a people, that right now, those that are sitting here, those that are listening, would so commit their lives to you that we would be folks that live honorably, that focus on Jesus, that would live transformed lives so that people would actually ask, what is the reason for your hope? Father, I pray that you would help us to be so energized by this opportunity that we would see life change happen in this church exponentially. We pray that you would do it. By the power of your spirit, through your word, we pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we want to reach the world, what should we do? I have a, a couple of things I just want you to notice. I tried to put it in a, a, down in a way that would be memorable. What should we do? We must live lip and life in line with the Gospels. By the way, you're going to notice this morning in the outline, I have a lot of L's. It was just one of those days. <laughs> Not trying to get you uh, going. There is a lot of L's. Verses 11 and 12, I urge you, strangers and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. You have to make a willful decision to abstain from something that the world is doing. Now, of course, each one of you is going to be able to pick something that you're not doing that the world is doing. But is your life distinguishable in any major way from the world? Would the people around you say, oh, wow, they live differently than the world. They have let go of the world. They have clung to Jesus. They live in a way that's not demeaning to me, but values something higher or different. Our lip and life must follow Christ. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. In other words, you might tell everyone around you why it is that you're okay, but you know in your own soul the reason the arguments are coming out is you're having an argument every single night between you and the Spirit of God. They wage war against your soul. They're dragging you down. Conduct yourself. So it's not just you stop doing something. God's a good parent. He always gives you something to do. Stop putting your finger in the light socket. Come over here and play with these toys. That's what we do with our kids, right? Stop. But do this, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God in the day that he visits. We need to keep our lives in line with the gospel. Now, Peter understands how hard this is. In Galatians 2.14, Paul tells of a moment where he actually had been out with Peter at a church plant. And as they were going about their daily lives, Peter was living with all of the Gentiles just as Gentiles live in the freedom that God says that they actually have. 
not worried about rules and laws and regulations, not asking them to live under it. But all of a sudden, a group of people come from the outside uh, that had more religious expectations than others. And Peter began to live differently. And Paul confronts him because he says, you're not living out the gospel. You're not living in line, literally, with the good news. If Christ has set you free, you are why are you worrying as if you still need to be under certain regulations that have nothing to do with godliness? They just curb the flesh. You're not keeping in line with the gospel. He says you're actually muddying it by putting moralism over real faith. Peter says, I know how hard it is to live focused on Jesus and to let go of only those things that get in the way of our relationship with him, but not make a whole bunch of other rules and regulations for ourselves or the people around us. We use the word gospel a lot, and I think it's important, uh, especially in this season, as we have some visitors even this morning who may not know what that word gospel means, and so in a desire to make sure that we don't just use Christian words without kind of giving you an idea of what those uh, mean. Here's a reflection. I have a little video, a reflection by a Christian artist. As you put together some key scriptures and listen to some key sermons, a reflection on that word gospel that might be helpful as we take a look at the rest of this passage. What is the gospel? It's the most important question you could ever ask, with the most significant answer you could ever receive. The gospel is an announcement. It's not good advice, it's good news. Good news about freedom and forgiveness for bad and broken people. The gospel is not something you do for God, but something he did for you. The gospel is simple yet profound, so basic that even a child can comprehend it, yet so deep that no scholar, author, or philosopher could ever uncover the full scope of its depth and riches. The gospel is beautiful. It is light in your darkness, strength in your weakness, hope in your hurting, grace for your guilt, mercy for your misery, healing for your soul, joy for all people. The gospel is shocking. Innocence in the place of righteousness, holiness in the place of shame, son of God in the place of sinful man, God without honor, Lord without breath. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, born in a manger and raised by a carpenter. Tempted by Satan, but filled with the Spirit. Baptized by his cousin and affirmed by his father. Questioned by leaders, but loved by outsiders. Befriended by sinners, betrayed by his friend. Respected by some, rejected by most. Crucified for all, buried in a borrowed grave, resurrected on the third day. The gospel is a gift. Costly for God, but free to you. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. It cannot be earned, and it cannot be lost. The gospel is about grace. No one is so good that they don't need it, and no one is so bad they can't have it. The gospel is not just a clean slate. It's a final verdict. Not guilty. The gospel is about strength that no enemy can defeat, peace that no suffering can steal, hope that no storm can wash away. My hope is built on nothing less and nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The gospel is about God. He is infinite and unparalleled. He is strong and gentle. He's the King of heaven, Lord of armies, the healer of hearts, and the light of the world. The gospel is about you. Your move. Not clean up your act, but come as you are. Because Christianity isn't acting like you have it all together. 
but admitting that you don't. That is the gospel. Peter is saying that those who believe those words, that those who believe in the gospel will live life differently than those who don't. If you've given your life to Christ, it should lead to transformation. What should we do? What can be broken down this way? Peter says that our words, our heart, and our actions need to be guided by truth, and it'll reach a lost world. Our words, our heart, and our actions. Abstain from sinful desires. Conduct yourselves so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God. Well, how will they know to glorify him unless they are told? Romans tells us that this message comes with words. It's implied in this passage. Our words, our heart, our actions need to be guided by truth. That's what Peter says. And it will reach a world that is hungry for something different than what they're getting. If you have words without actions, you get sentimentalism. If you get actions without words, altruism. Words and actions without truth can lead to liberalism. Words and truth without action, moralism. Words, heart, and action without truth, you get activism. And we see that in our world. But words, heart, action guided by truth, you get evangelism. People will see and hear the truth from a believer as they live differently in the world. That's what we should do. But how? How can we do this? How can we do this in a way that others will hear? Peter highlights this. He says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That word means to be benevolent, complete, to be balanced. Can I just ask you a really quick question, just for your own pondering? Would people around you, when they see you respond to the news or any recent feed, would they say that you respond in a balanced way? Do you feel balanced? When you're interacting with what's going on in the world or in your heart or in your life and you're just looking into the mirror and having a conversation with yourself, do you feel balanced? It says, conduct yourselves honorably to have a benevolent heart, to be complete because of what Christ has done, to be balanced. Honorable, open, welcoming, that's how. Calling people into our own presence because we've been called into the presence of the living God, loving them even though they don't stand where we stand. Evangelism explosion, which uh, some of you, as I was sharing this, were shocked to know that it still is a thing. They did a uh, survey just this last year. This is a recent survey and it was conducted by Lifeway Research. They paid for this study to be done. And they found some really intriguing things. 66% of the people that they asked, and we're, we're talking about over 1,000 respondents here, 66% said that they are open or very open to having a conversation about the Christian faith with a friend. 
Now, I want you to think about that. In the world around you right now, would you believe that that is true? This is what they found. 65% said they are open or very open to talking with a friend about having a relationship with God. Four out of 10, 40% say that they wouldn't think about faith on their own if a friend or family member wouldn't bring it up. So they're open to talking about Jesus, but they wouldn't think about it on their own unless somebody else in their sphere of influence lives or speaks in such a way that they can have that conversation. They openly do this to bless their neighbor or their friend. 71% say when meeting somebody new, they are open or very open to hearing their life story. 69% want to hear why somebody thinks that their faith helps with a core human need. Get that number, 69%. Six out of 10, 60% of these that were asked, and only a small percentage of them claimed that they had any Christian values or Christianity in their background at all. Six out of 10 say that many of their friends who claim to be Christians rarely talk about their faith. So with all these positive statistics, with all of these statistics that are available to us, the believers that are around them are living under the delusion that nobody wants to hear from me in a positive way about my relationship with Jesus. Is that you? Do you know that there might be somebody that is sitting in a cubicle next to you or working just down the line from you or is working in some relationship near you or is at the grocery store or on the street and they are aching for somebody to bring up an answer for the problems that they have? They are aching for you to actually talk about your faith and you silently have sat there wondering if everyone is against you rather than leaning on Christ and sharing your faith. Now, I'm not saying this to belittle. I'm not saying this to attack. I'm just saying what is evident in the text and what is evident in our culture. We're being called to something greater. I've quoted this statistic, but it just shocks me so much. Somebody sent me this article. Coin News actually reported on it that Salem, the capital of Oregon, made the top eight out of the 50 most depressed cities in all of the United States with 27% of people being clinically diagnosed as depressed. That means somebody, there's many people who won't go even to somebody who could diagnose them. We're living in a place right now that is hungry for answers for the darkness that is within. And Jesus is the answer for that pain, amen? He's the answer, and he should be the one that has transformed our life and causing us to live out loud in a way that is different from the hopeless way that the world is going about things. How can we do this? Honorable, open, and welcoming, but there's an observation here I want you to see. It's, it, it's in the final statement it says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, it's not an if. You'll get slandered. Bullies slander. It happens. They will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Now, how does somebody go from slander to glory? 
They find that their way, even as they slander, their way, even as they attack, has actually no positive fruit. They see these ones that they are slandering, bearing up underneath the burden of those things. They see the power of their lives and they say, what is the reason for the hope that's in you? They glorify God. When we live in line with the gospel, the lost learn of God. Final one, starts with a lot of L's, super sorry. We need to listen. And let me start this by saying you need to listen. Do you know that the people around aren't listening to pastors? Are you shocked by that? Don't say you're shocked. You don't even listen to pastors. In the last few years, one of the things pastors have learned is that they really are either an extension of what God is doing in their church or they are not much. That's not a self-depreciating thing. We're not the point. Jesus is the point and he's either at work in you and he's going to use you or you're deferring to somebody else hoping that maybe they'll get it done. When I say we need to reach the world, who in your mind is the one that's supposed to be doing that work? It's God at work in you. We're just supposed to energize those who are already running. He is using you. You need to listen. What do I mean by that? I mean that quite often, as soon as somebody starts to be irritated with what is going on in the world, we cut them off with our opinions. Have you ever done that? Have you ever jumped in on a conversation before you actually listen to the heart of the individual? Why are they spouting their pain? No, you jump in and you tell them, I too, I agree with this. Politics is wrong and this is wrong in the schools. This was wrong in our city. This is wrong with taxes. This is wrong with all the things. We start jumping in with all the wrong. We haven't listened. Why are they shouting those things to you? They don't need you to pile on with them. The entire world is piling on with them. They need you to listen and say, what is it that I'm craving? And you take them to a different answer than they've been getting. We need to listen. You know, there's an old statement that says, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. This is the intriguing thing about that. Do you want to know who created lemons? Man, it's actually a man-made hybridization of sour lemons and citron. That's it. We combine two really sour things and we decide to make lemonade, but it's a man-made problem. How many of you have listened to normal circumstances and turned it into a lemon by the end of a conversation? (laughs) We take normal things that happen in everyday lives and we put them in the worst possible light and we grovel and we complain. That's the nature of humanity. Christians should be above that. You should be in a different place because of what Christ has done in you. Everyone is pitching lemons at you and you're like, man, where's this stuff coming from? And you just ignore the lemons and you follow Christ. And they say, how can you do that? How can you go through life without making everything negative? We need to listen. Living out love, here's the L's, will cause the least, the last, and the lost to listen. (laughs) Try to remember that. Listen, secondly, each one will reach one. Believers need to live their calling. If you are living your calling, it's transformational. I want you to think about this. Just in this next year, if you actually took this serious, if you began to pray and say, Lord God, would you cause me to be so yielded to you and so vocal about my faith that the people around me hear about Jesus Christ in a way that somebody responds to the gospel. He loves to answer that prayer. 
If every single one of us took that serious, where would we be able to meet in a year? What would we do with all the people that would respond to the gospel just in our sphere of influence? Let's say that only 50%. We have plans that we'll be announcing to you over the next uh, couple of months. Things that we're intending to do, that we're hoping to do to remodel the building and to make more room and to do stuff to be able to bring in more folks. But do you know that there are no plans that we have that would be able to handle 50% growth? If just 10% of you took that serious in two years, we wouldn't have any place to meet. Can you believe that? Rodney Stark, studying the early Christian church, said after the initial explosion, he believes that the church only grew at a rate of 3 to 5%. I want you to think about this. Taking over the known organized world within 200 years at 3 to 5% through just families living their faith and sharing with the people around them. We're always shocked when we take a look at some of those numbers, but if just 3 to 5% of us did this, the amount of people that we would see in here excited would be transformational. By the way, we're afraid we're going to outgrow the world, and the population growth has never exceeded really 1.1% each year. Christianity on the move is on the move through excited, transformed lives, living Jesus out loud. We need to listen. Each one needs to reach one. In this plan that Peter has and that the scripture's laying out, all are impacted. Every single person is included. There are many people that I will not run into, that I am not the proper person. They, they, they won't gel with my personality, but you gel with them. There are some people that are extremely extroverted, some people that are extremely introverted, they don't tend to run in the same circles. Do you know that? (laughs) Who's going to reach those people? Everyone is reached if we live our lives out loud in that way with those folks. It's real. A real Jesus impacting your real life highlights their real need for real answers to their problems. And it's natural growth. That's how they will learn. Do you know there's a problem in sports with something called steroids? Do you know this? Aaron Judge isn't on him. He's just the coolest guy that's ever lived. But everyone else. How do you know that somebody's on steroids? One of the indications that they're on steroids is that the muscle mass exceeds, the growth of that mass exceeds the scaffolding that the natural body has to be able to support it. We get excited about steroid faith in the church. We try to grab somebody that comes to Christ and right away we try to pump them up, put them on display, we advertise them, we do all these things. We try to put a ton of growth into an individual before all the scaffolding is there for them to be able to run with the Lord. You know what God's plan actually is? That somebody that is broken and needs transformation experiences that. They come in alongside other believers and are gathered into the family. They learn that family life. They have people that care about them, that walk with them through their daily issues as they are submitting the things in their life to the living God and they walk out transformation and it lasts for a lifetime instead of for a week. Well, how are we gonna be able to sustain that? Well, if you are reaching somebody, do you wanna know the question that you ask me? If you have led somebody to Christ, I know that this happened because you come to me the next week and you say, what are you preaching on? Is it going to be good? 
you're actually concerned about their experience at church. You're concerned about whether or not they settle in. You're concerned about those individuals. Why? Because they actually matter. And you know that they matter. And so you walk with them as if they are family and you make sure that their kids are taken care of and you ask them about the concerns that they're having in life and you meet the needs in an organic way because the scaffolding's already there. It's you. God has called us to reach those people that are hurting around us, to care for them and walk with them. Natural growth is the healthy way. What is the plea? This is what Peter says. And he says it multiple times throughout this book to a church that is under fire and overwhelmed. He says, dear friends, I urge you, get this right. I'm going to ask you this morning, if there's anything that has impacted your heart, will you consider this? Are you getting this right? Are you taking seriously the call? to conduct your lives in such a way that the lost hear of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that this morning you would help us, that you would call us. Father, that you would use us. Peter has this moment with these people where he says, I urge you. To do these things, Father, we pray that uh, we would feel that urgency. We pray also that we would feel that sense of fellowship as we look around the room, that there would be a connection, not just with you, but with our brothers and sisters to the right and to the left, that we would feel connected with them, that we would stir one another up, that we would have a voice in their lives to say, who is it that you are called to reach? Who is it that seems soft to the gospel? Who seems overwhelmed? How are you meeting those needs? Who have you taken a meal to? Do you know the names of your neighbor's kids? We can ask those questions and stir each other up because, Father, it matters. Not a church growth program but a program that proclaims that you, the living God, so loved the world that you sent Jesus. And we're putting that message on display. Father, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.